All right, I'm really, really excited about this series, Reclaim the Table. I'm, I'm really, really excited. This is going to be a good one. It's going to take us for four weeks, um, leading us into Christmas, which is such a vital time of the year. Uh, this series, in a lot of ways, is about family. It's about how to have a healthy family, how to have a good, um, God-honoring family. And I think it's so vital, this series leading into Christmas, coming off of everything that we've been dealing with and talking about as a nation, as a people, um, I really believe that God is in this and God wants you to be in this. And so as we enter this Christmas season, I want to encourage you uh, to be in church. I want to encourage you to be connected. I want to encourage you whenever life tries to pull you away, don't lose this. Don't lose this thing that in the middle of the chaos you need, your family needs a part of your, to be a part of your home. And I know we're going to travel. We're going to do that kind of thing. But get to church online. Get your family connected to church online. Don't during this season that's, in case you didn't know about Jesus, during this season to be the thing that you, that you disconnect from and you remove yourself from church. Stay involved. Stay connected. Stay here with us. And I believe that God has something special for you and your family throughout this series. I really, really do. Um, this series, Reclaim the Table, um, is something that I've been, I've been thinking about a long time, <clears throat> that, that there's, there's so much importance about the table. And of course, being that we're right at the, you know, right there at Christmas and Thanksgiving, there are a couple of really big table moments that are on their way, right? We're going to experience some big table moments. But, but my guess is this, my guess is that you've never actually seen a table, now, I, I know, obviously, you've seen this table. And probably you've seen the one in your house, and you've seen the one at the restaurant and at the coffee shop. But my guess is, is that you've never actually seen a table for all of the potential that it really has. Because this piece of furniture is a lot more than a piece of furniture. We think that this is just a piece of furniture that we put stuff on. I don't know if you're like me, but in my house, a table winds up becoming a storage facility. Does that happen to anybody? Come on, tell me I'm not weird right? It just, it just becomes the thing that everything gets set on. But this very simple thing was created for one reason, for humanity to gather around it and build community and eat some good food. I need an amen. Right? I mean, that is the reason why this table with four legs or maybe yours has a pedestal or whatever, but it has this slab on the top and it's made to put things on top of. But here's the key. The importance is not what's on it, but who's at it. Did, did everybody hear that? The important thing is who's at the table. That's what's most important. We're hitting Thanksgiving and Christmas. I know the food's important, but what's more important is who's at the table. The people that are there. Just six or seven months ago, I, I did a series called Simplexity. Um, and I still get comments. I still get people talking about it. But the core idea of that series was this, was that a fulfilled life is more about a who than a what. A fulfilled life. At the end of your life, at the end of your days, when you're on your deathbed, your regrets are always relational and never possessional. Never. They're never occupational, professional. They're never how much stuff that I have. It always comes back to relationships. And so what I want to spend time talking about is the potential that the table has to ultimately build your family. To build your family into the family that God has for you. Um, now, you can think back through your life at all of the, the, the significant table moments. 
I mean, just, just think for a second all of the incredible things that have happened around a table in your life. I can remember my very first date with my wife. Right? I took her to the worst first date spot on the planet. I took her to one of those Texas Roadhouse-type restaurants where they throw peanut shells on the ground. Guys, don't do that. That's a terrible first date spot. The restaurant is immobile. It's not even there anymore. They all closed up shop and quit because it's a terrible idea. First date, hey, baby, let's go sit down and talk, and then let's, let's get through the, the peanut shells. It's just super, super awkward. But then just a month or so later, her and I sat at a table, a different restaurant, a different table. And after dinner, we talked for hours and hours and hours. And it was in that conversation that in my heart, I knew this was the one. It was around a table. It was in a moment like that. I can remember the table moments with my kids. <clears throat> As they've grown up and there's everything from, from, uh, from smeared green beans into the table to craft projects to paint on the table to <clears throat> sad moments and happy moments and amazing moments around a table. I can remember a table several years ago at a coffee shop where, where my friendship with by far my best friend in the world is named Shannon Greer, and some of you guys know Shannon. My relationship, my friendship with Shannon was built over a coffee, t- over a table at a coffee shop where we just talked and built a relationship. And now our kids are being raised together. We love each other. We visit, we vacation, and there's this life, lifelong friendship that has happened because of a table moment. And you could go through your life and you could think of those moments that have happened around a table. And so often we don't realize that there is potential in the table that can be harnessed. And listen, this is not new. This happened all through the Bible. This happened all through Scripture. Table moments are seen over and over and over again in the Scriptures. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, they're all in there. All the way back to Moses' tabernacle had a table. Okay, all the way in to Jesus in the, in, the, in the New Testament, we see tables all the time. Jesus turning over tables. Jesus sitting at a table reclining with, with his disciples doing the Last Supper. We see Jesus sitting with sinners and Pharisees. We see Jesus doing so much around a table because there is so much power in a table. As a matter of fact, one theologian said this. He said that in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus is almost always either going to a meal at a meal or leaving a meal because the table was so central to the Bible and so central to faith. Leonard Sweet says this, and I love this. He says, you can sum up the Bible in six sentences, three sentences for the Old Testament, three sentences for the New Testament. He said, the Old Testament is this. They tried to kill me. We survived. Let's eat. And the New Testament is this, I love you, I forgive you, let's eat. <clears throat> when you look at the Bible, you see the festivals and the feast and the table, and it was so important to the culture of the day. And just as, just as tables were important to the story of God then, I believe tables are important to your story in God and what God wants to do in your story. You look at this and just see furniture, but God sees potential. You look at this thing and just think, man, I really wish I had a table like this. Or, man, if it were a little darker, a little longer, a little bit wider. But God says, no, 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 none of that matters. It's just the potential of the thing that matters. Because whenever you gather around it, there's something about looking at another human being across a table and eating some good soul food. 
right, that just unlocks something on the inside. And there's a spiritual thing that happens. And this space could become sacred. In your family, this space could become sacred. Sadly, the American family, though, the American family is and has been threatened by cell phones and televisions and fast food and busy schedules to the point that this is almost obsolete. I don't know if you know that or not, but this table is almost just a storage facility. It's becoming to the point that, I don't know if you know this or not, but Americans eat one out of every five meals in the car. That's, that's one meal every two days. We're just, we're too busy. We're always on the go. We're always running. The average American household spends just as much on fast food as they do groceries. What does that tell you? That tells you that we don't spend time around the table. The average American family says that only one in five nights is the entire family present. Because we're at soccer and we're busy and we're running and we're going and we've got sports and we've got extracurriculars and dance and gymnastics and all this kind of stuff. And unfortunately what's happening happening is the most important thing in the world, the who's in our life, are getting fragmented and disconnected. Because there's not something as simple and as central as the table that's bringing everyone together to be able to talk and open up and to learn and to grow. There are tons of studies that show that just simply eating three family meals a week, just three family meals a week would lower the uh, the obesity rate. Just three family meals a week would help kids in school to excel Just three meals a week, literally, this is an actual, these are actual studies that say that kids are way less likely to get involved in drugs or destructive behavior if they spend time around a table with their family. It's important. It's vital. It's a big, big deal. 60 years ago, 60 years ago, the average meal, the average family meal lasted 90 minutes. Today, the average family meal lasts less than 12. When we do sit with a family, with our family, with our loved ones, it's quick and it's fast. And let's get in and let's get out and let's go. Because we've got busy and things to do. We've got to go, we've got to go, we've got to go. You know, it's no wonder that the average average parent only spends 38 minutes a week in meaningful conversation with their child. But the average adult spends 15 hours a week watching television. Do you see the problem in our culture? It's very, very easy to point outside and just go, well, that's the problem with our culture. That's the problem with our world. And if they would get that together and they would get this together, then we wouldn't have all these problems. But what are we doing inside the four walls of our home to actually affect the future? to actually affect the world around us? What are we doing with our own kids, with our own families that will ultimately impact the world around us? There are two groups of people that value the table that I want to tell you about real quick. One of those are the Amish people. Have you ever driven through an Amish community? Anybody? Anybody ever driven through an Amish community? It is one of the coolest experiences of your life. You literally got in a time machine and you went back in time. But what is so amazing is that as you drive the streets and they pass you in their carriages and their horses and all the stuff, there is just a peace in that community. There's a calmness, there's a quiet, there's a stillness in that community. 
But what's interesting about the about Amish families is that the Amish retain 95% of their children in the Amish community, in the Amish lifestyle. Think about that. In the age that we live in, social media and technology and all this craziness, the Amish families, they retain 95% of their children stay in that lifestyle. They choose to continue a life of simplicity and complete focus on God. They choose that. And these kids, they have the opportunity to go and explore and, 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 and make sure this is what you want to do. And they come back and they say, yeah, this is my life. This is who I am. Why? Because twice a day they gather around a table. And it's not just that they eat good food. It's that the dad leads the family in the meal. The head of the home, the spiritual head of the home stands up and he leads this family through why they are the way they are. Why they, he connects them to the why and the history and why God has them do this and why they, why they live this life. He leads them through songs and history and all this stuff, explaining to them why they do this. So before they ever hit the age of 18, they've been affirmed. Their identity has been established. They know who they are. There is no question. The same is true with, with Jewish people. Jewish families, not only are there lots of festivals and feasts and all this kind of stuff, we know this, but a Jewish family has several very significant meals every single week. Where again, the dad, he leads the meal and he steps up and listen to this, the dad will literally tell the family story after story after story and he'll do it all the time. Every single time they meet of how God rescued the children out of Egypt. How our ancestors, man, they were enslaved and God set us free. God set us on this new path. And here's the story of God and here's how we fit into the story of God. And Jewish people will just literally tell these stories all the time. And, they're, and they're, their meals are centered around it. There's this beautiful thing that happens that by the time a Jewish child gets to bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah age, even by the time they're 18, they know who they are. There is just their culture, the identity is established in them. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God rescued me and where I fit into his story and how God wants to continue in me. There is no question. You contrast that with an, with an American Christian child. By the time they hit 18, they're going, well, I guess I'm going to go figure out who I am. So mom and dad say, hey, son, go, go figure it out, man. Get out there, find the best you. Get out there and figure out who you are. And then we leave it up to culture to create an identity for our kids. We, we leave it up to an 18-year-old to walk out into a world that's hitting them with millions of messages to go, yeah, I guess that is what I want to be. I guess that is what kind of shoes I want to wear, what kind of music I want to listen to, how I want to vote, how I want to think, what kind of values I want to uphold. I guess I'll figure it out as I go. Why? Because we as parents haven't set their identity in place on the Word of God. We haven't told them the story of God. We haven't led them in to who they are in God Almighty and Jesus Christ. We haven't done that. Listen to this last step. Only 30 to 50% of church kids stay in the church once they hit adulthood. And that number depends on denomination. Only 30 to 50% of our kids that are raised in this house are going to stay in this house or stay in any house after they become an adult. That's terrible. I hope right now your eyes are like this because that's something that we can't live with. That's something that we cannot be okay with. And here's the problem. The problem is, is it's really, really easy to point at the church and say, why don't you do your job? 
Hey, hey, why don't, why don't you disciple my kids? Hey, hey, why don't you teach my kids about God? Why don't you teach my kids about Jesus? But let me flip it and say, it's not our job. And all through the scripture, we see that as parents, in the Old Testament, it's parents that disciple their kids. As parents, and I'm speaking as a parent before I'm speaking as a pastor, it is my job to raise my children. It is my job to disciple my kids in the ways of the Lord. In a world that's getting darker and darker and darker, we have to be more bold than ever to reproduce the light in our own children. And it starts here. It starts at this place right here. It starts at a simple table in your home where you can begin to disciple your kids. And like I said, we see this all through the Bible. We see this for Jesus over and over again where he sat at a table and he discipled. He sat at a table. He sat at the, the Lord's Supper. We know that table very well. At the end of Matthew, he sits and he, and he tells his, his disciples over and over again how they should live, how they should think, what values they should uphold. We see him looking at Zacchaeus in a tree and going, hey, man, let's go have dinner together because I want to tell you about life. I want to tell you what's important. I want to tell you what you should believe in, what you should live for. We see him sitting with Pharisees and looking across the table and saying, absolutely not. That is backwards. You're thinking wrong. And then while he's doing this, he turns and he looks at his disciples and he tells them why they're wrong. And they're still sitting in the room. They're sitting there going, do you not know I'm still sitting right here? But he's literally discipling and teaching every single step of the way. But yet we think that it's the church's job to disciple our kids. Listen, we only have just a few moments with them. This right here, this represents how much time you have with your kids. Every single week. This is how much time we have with them every single week. That's it. And some of you guys that only pop in once a month or twice a month, I need to cut that rock in half. Yeah, get your kids in small groups. Have your kids here every single time they possibly can. But listen, if you're not doing the hard work at home, if you're not discipling your kids at home, if you're not pouring into your kids at home, then guess what the, st the stats say is that they're not going to live a life that, that represent your values, that represent the type of life that you have and that you live, unless you are specifically and intentionally discipling your kids. And I think that the best place to do that is at the table. The best place to do that is at the table. We've already talked about the Jewish families. And the, the way that the Jewish families disciple their kids or talk to their kids, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. And just as, just as the children of Israel are about to enter the promised land, they're about to walk in and, and take hold of what God promised them. And if, and if you remember the story, maybe some of you don't, but the, the previous generation, they doubted God. And so God literally waited until they all died before he took the promised land with this new generation. And he's speaking to this new generation that, that, that truly loved God, that was honoring God, that, that, that listened to God. And this is what he tells them. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart, parent. Impress them on your children. You, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. So he's saying, listen, every chance you get, talk about them. Talk about the promises of God. Talk about the love of God. Talk about how you fit into the story of God. 
And the very first one is when you sit, when you dine, when you're there with your family, open up, unpack the Word of God and teach your family. You know, God knew that the land that they were entering, listen to this, the land that they were walking into was full of pagan people that, that worship pagan gods, that did crazy, weird things that I won't even say because they're disgusting, what they would do to people and other people. I mean, just terrible. He knew that they were walking into this pagan lifestyle, this pagan world, and that the only way that they would be able to stay believers in God Almighty is to repeatedly tell their kids, this is who you are. This is what you believe. This is the way we live. This is the way we act. This is the kind of family that we are. So that whenever they step foot in the world and they, and they took their destiny and they take their purpose in their promise, they would know their identity. They would walk out in their identity and who God created them to be. In Deuteronomy 6, you can go and look at it, but he, he, he told them to say this, that there's only one God. There's only one God and he loves us and he's chosen us. There's only one God. And repeatedly they would say this, man, the one God, the only God chose us. And he put us in the center of his story. He put us in the center of his will. They would repeatedly say this, that we were once slaves, but God delivered us. This is a part of a weekly meal. I mean, listen to this, that parents would over and over and over again tell their kids, hey, at one point we were slaves. God, we were bound to the Egyptians. We were completely bound, and yet God set us free. When was the last time you told your kids your story of salvation? And is it a story that they just know? They just know. I mean, you know, age, age appropriate, of course, but they just know, yeah, dad was a junkie a few years ago. Dad was a junkie, was a womanizer, was a terrible person, but God set him free. Right? Do your kids know that? Right? Have they heard the story of God's grace in your life? Have they heard repeatedly the story of how God pulled you out of whatever you were in and set you on firm foundation, right, and poured his life into you? Have they heard that from you? Another thing that they would repeatedly say is in Deuteronomy 6, it says that you're going to inherit, you're going to get the blessings of wells that you never dug, the walls you, that you never built, the, of, of plants and crops that you never planted. You're going to get all these blessings. Let me ask you something. When you sit at the table, do you complain or do you, do you brag on God? Right? When you sit there, when you sit at that table, do you, do you just say, man, I sure wish I had that boat like so-and-so has, or I sure wish I had more of this or more of that, and, and I gripe and complain, or do we go, man, guys, you don't even know how blessed we are. Man, God has showed up in our family time and time again. Just five years ago, guys, we had this problem and this problem, but God showed up and he did something amazing. We have to constantly and consistently tell our kids how and when and where God showed up. And we have to point them to God and point them to what God has done in us and what God wants to do through us. The table is the place to, cre to create a consistent moment for God to reveal himself in your family. Right here, as you gather, as you spend time together as a family, God will show up. Leonard Sweet also said this. He said, an untabled faith is an unstable faith. That's good. I'm going to wait on you. An untabled faith is an unstable faith. Why? Because that means my family's not even talking about it. That means I'm expecting Junior to have his own faith, and I'm expecting Sally over here in this room to figure it out on her own instead of me, the dad, saying, no, 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 kids, I'm going to lead you into the faith. I'm going to lead you into what God put on my heart for my family. 
An unstable faith, an untabled faith is an unstable faith. So here's what I want to do over the next four weeks. I'm going to get real practical for a second. Because we got four weeks in this. And it's not all this kind of thing. Next week, I'm really excited about next week. We're going to look at the table as a metaphor for your family. How to make it solid, how to make it strong, how to give it the right foundation so that the table of your family is strong. But this week is practical because what I want to see us do as a church is begin to disciple our kids at the table. It's just to simply talk about God, not be in a rush, not be in a hurry, not, not always trying to get to the next thing, but be intentional about our time together as a family. So I've got three challenges. We're calling this the table talk challenge. Okay, for four weeks, here's what I want you to do. For four weeks, I want you to pray at every single meal. Okay, now I know. At first, you're like, okay, that's not so bad. Okay, so listen, it doesn't matter. High school cafeteria, pray at that meal. Okay, when you got the big important board meeting or you got clients flying in or you're flying out to go to some big meeting, pray at that meal, pray at those meals. Like just take that challenge that note, all through this month, at that meal, at that table moment, I'm going to seize the moment to just simply thank God. I'm going to thank him for his blessings. I'm going to thank him that no matter what's going on in the world around me, I've got the blessings of God right here in front of me. I'm going to thank God for it. The second challenge is this. The second challenge is that I want you to have four family meals together every week. I know for some of you, that is crazy talk. I know I hear you laughing, but you're going to do it. Okay, because listen, you go to that soccer coach and you tell them that your pastor coach trumps their soccer coach and that pastor coach said that I got to do this before they can come out there and kick a little ball. They're going to be at home with mom and dad and we're going to talk about Jesus. Y'all hear how I just said that like a preacher? Jesus. I said, Jesus. Somebody get up excited up in this place. Jesus. Sorry, Pentecostal roots, sometimes they just pop up. Okay, so listen, no phones at the table, put them down. Put them down and walk away, right? No TVs on in the distance. I know, y'all getting excited now. I don't know what that's about. I saw this pretty cool thing that Chick-fil-A is doing in some places where they actually have a cell phone coop on the table, you know, chicken coop, cell phone coop, where the whole family, if the whole family will put their cell phones in the box and leave them there throughout the entire meal, Chick-fil-A will give everybody a free ice cream. Isn't that awesome? So at your house, you need a a, a, a coop, a cell phone coop for your cell phones. Put them up. Do not touch them. Okay, and just simply engage, just simply. And the third, the, the third thing is this, is have intentional conversations. That's simple. Just have intentional conversations. Don't just let conversation happen. You drive conversation. You drive it. Nobody accidentally ever put on gym shorts, right? It didn't just happen. You didn't accidentally put the Doritos down. No, you had to intentionally put the Doritos down. You had to intentionally put on gym shorts to go to the gym and work out, right? So if you want to build healthy, substantial kids, then have intentional conversations. Have intentional conversations. A couple quick, easy ideas is share stories of your faith. Tell them about how you came to faith. Tell them about what God's done in your life. Tell them about your favorite memory verse. Tell them about the faith, you know, all those kind of things where God has showed up. Just talk about your faith. Another idea is do family devotions at the table. 
I realized this just a few months ago that nighttime, whenever I put the kids to bed, is the worst time for me to do a family devotion because I am scheduled, I am rigid, I'm like, get your butt in bed now, son. Right, like that's how I am. So for me to, for me to drive the thing and then to go, all right, let's sit and talk about Jesus. It's like really, really hard. So we, about a month or so ago, I decided, you know what, let's try it at the table. So I got a simple little devotion, a very simple little devotion. And every time we sit as a family, we just open this devotion. We finish our meal. We just sit and talk. It's literally three minutes long. I read a little thing. I read a scripture. and We just talk about it. Super, super simple. But again, it's just something being intentional. Me being intentional with my family. Of course, version has devotions and all that kind of stuff. So there's lots of options out there. Um, another thing is this, is create meaningful conversations, okay? Create these meaningful conversations. And it do, they don't have to always be scriptural. They don't always have to be about the Bible. One of the things that we do um, is around the table is I will, we go around the table and I ask them, what was your favorite thing today? What was your least favorite thing today? And how did you help somebody today? Like, what did you do kind for somebody today? So in those three questions, and everybody answers, I answer, everybody but Max, because he's one. Everybody else answers, right? And we talk about it. But what it does is it just creates conversation. It creates an opportunity whenever, whenever the least favorite thing today was somebody was mean to me. It gives us the chance to go, well, baby, listen, you know Jesus loves you. I love you. That's not the way we see you. Nobody else sees you that way. Jesus sees you. You know, right? we can just speak life into our child, or it just creates opportunities to be intentional with them, to speak life into them. Um, how did you help somebody today? Man, what an amazing way to, to, to high-five and to celebrate whenever they're serving and they're loving somebody. And, and, man, I let this little girl go ahead of me because she was sad and she was upset. I'm like, baby, you are awesome. That is so amazing, right? Because that's what I want in my kids. That's what I want to see reproduced in them is I want that kindness. So I just, we just found some simple ways of creating meaningful conversation, creating meaningful moments. Um, and, and we, as a church, want to try to set you up to win as much as we possibly can. So those of you with kids in Kid City today, um, they're all going to get a little handout. And it's going to be fun. They, they got a little handout of some questions that they can ask mom and dad at the table. Okay, so while you're sitting at the table this week, Junior may have some bonkers questions. Blame Pastor Chris. Wingo. Okay? The kids team came up with some questions. So listen, but just at the table, man, just conversation starters, things that you can talk about. Um, also, every single day for the next four weeks on social media, we are going to post from City Hope Live, we're going to post a conversation starter. Hey, here's an idea of something this, this, tonight or whenever you do have your table moment um, for you to talk about, for you to unpack. Um, just something simple, something quick, but it just gives you the opportunity to talk about it. Okay, listen, the table is extremely important because it gives us the opportunity, listen, it gives us the opportunity to change the future. That's the way that I see the table, is what I'm building in my kids now is what they're going to walk out into life later on with. The values, the principles, the heart that I'm putting into them now is what they're going to walk into the world with. Listen, pointing fingers and yelling and screaming at politicians and all this stuff, it's not going to fix anything. But we can change the future through our kids. We can change the future if we get the values of Jesus Christ in the hearts of our kids right now. We will change the future. Amen? I want to tell you. As I wrap up, I want to tell you about one more table. 
And then we're going to baptize a whole bunch of people, which is really exciting. The reason why this is such a big deal to me is because of the table that we've all been invited to. You know, we've all been invited to a table that we don't deserve to be at. In in Ephesians 1, it says this, and it's interesting because today is Orphan Sunday. Ephesians 1 says this, that God decided in advance to adopt us. He adopted us as his own family. By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, this is what he wanted to do, and and it gave him great pleasure. We were all spiritual orphans. And God adopted us. And there's this really cool story in the Old Testament where King David, um, he, he had made a covenant to, to Jonathan, who was King Saul's son. He'd made a covenant that he was going to look, look after his family. And one of Jonathan's sons, his name was Mephibosheth. Crazy name, Mephibosheth. Okay, during the regime change, Mephibosheth had had, had an accident and both of his legs were crippled. And for 16 years, he lived as an orphan. He had no family, completely disconnected. He was the old regime, so nobody wanted anything to do with him. And he lived off and away and by himself. He was an orphan that no one cared about. And one day it hit David. He was reminded of the covenant that he made. And he said, hey, search this kingdom and find anyone that's related to Jonathan. And they found Mephibosheth. And this is what David did. David goes and he embraces this this guy that was by now 18, 19, 20 years old who had been completely abandoned and left an orphan. And David brings him in. And at first when David shows up, you know he had to be terrified. Oh my gosh, he found out there's one left from the reign of Saul. He's coming to kill me. But this is what happened in 2 Samuel 9. In verse 6, it says, When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to him in honor. David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, at your service. And he replied, hey, listen, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Now listen to this. I will restore you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. You will always eat at the table of the king. Every single one of us were abandoned and spiritually left. And God Almighty, the King of the world, brought us to his table. Revelation 3.20, and I'll end with this, says, Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and he opens the door, I'm going to come in and I'm going to eat with that person and that person with me. If you know Jesus Christ, you've opened that door. And in a minute, we're going to watch 150 people that have opened that door be baptized. But if you're here and listen, you don't know Christ and you feel orphaned, you feel spiritually disconnected from God, from life, from anything, and you feel abandoned and separated, I want you to know today that God Almighty wants to adopt you. God Almighty, the Savior of the world, Jesus, Jesus, that we sang about, man, he wants to adopt you into his family. So before we leave, I want to pray a simple prayer, and I want to give you the opportunity to be adopted. I want to give you the opportunity to say, yes, I'm tired of being abandoned. I want to be adopted. I want to teach this into my kids. I want to, I want to raise my family to be a family of values, to be a family that is a spiritual family, that believes the word of God. 
If that's, you know what, bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. I want to give those an opportunity to raise their hand without everyone looking. If that's you today, just slip your hand up real quick. If you say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritually an orphan and I know it. I need God Almighty. I need the King in my life. Raise your hand. I see several hands at every campus. Let's all pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to adopt me into your spiritual family. I give you my all today. I surrender my pain. I surrender my issues. I surrender all that I am. I want to know you. I want to fully know you as a son and as a daughter. I want to eat at your table. I love you, Jesus, and I give you my heart. I give you my life in Jesus' name.